turn a corner tonight, and for the next little while, going to be looking at uh, the parable of the soils. When you look at a subject like this, how to get the most out of God's word, it ought to be heartening to us that you're coming to a subject that obviously had uh, extensive importance in the mind of Jesus because he, he, in his longest, most detailed parable recorded in, in uh, several places, this issue was huge on Jesus' mind. The issue of the word and why it has different effects in different hearts. And he didn't want us reaching the conclusion that there's something deficient in the text. He, he wanted us to understand that the determining factor is not in the word, not in the seed, but in the reception, in the soil, in the heart receiving the seed. And so the title is, The Soil Makes All the Difference. How we determine transformation by where we draw the line of our hearing. And the text that we're starting with is uh, Matthew 13, verses 1 to 9. Matthew 13, 1 to 9. And let me read it to you. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. So they're, they're pressing him. He's backing up further and further toward the water, and eventually the solution is, well, I'll get in a boat, go out into the water, and that way people can come right up to the shore. So it wasn't like church where everybody fights for the back seats. It was like where people wanted to hear Jesus and they want to get as close as they can. Great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables. So here's what we have recorded from Matthew and Mark. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came and devoured them. And later on, you're going to find out, we won't get to it right now, that uh, Satan, the birds, that's Satan. And when people hear the word and don't understand it, so you see the importance of, of, of teaching. Not any particular teacher, I don't mean that, but the teaching of the word is so important because if it's not understood or if it's misunderstood, this is from Jesus, it just gets snatched away, so there's no benefit in it. Just exposure doesn't guarantee understanding, is what he's saying. Five, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And you're going to find out that that's going to be persecution. Everybody's excited, but what we looked at this morning, striving to enter the kingdom... Everybody's excited when they first come to Jesus. And if they don't understand that there is going to arise opposition and persecution, they're going to be stunned by this. 
Since they had no root, they withered away. Seven, other seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them. And we're going to learn later on that that's the cares about material things and riches. Eight. Other seeds fell on good soil. We won't get to any of this tonight. And produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. When you get some of the other accounts in the synoptics, the order goes in the opposite direction. And there's a reason for that. We'll get to that one. He who has ears, let him hear. We will take most of our teaching time tonight uh, just introducing an important theme related to the background for this parable. In other words, we're not really going to get very much into looking at this soil, that soil, that soil, that soil tonight. There's something else to understand first. So I'm telling you that so you won't panic if point number one comes right near the end of the teaching time. I just don't want to see people dropping over dead in shock when five after seven I say, now point number one. I said at the beginning that I can't think of a point that was more worked by Jesus, more talked about. And the very first words of the very first verse are almost never discussed. I must have 75 different commentaries and books just on the parables. None of them start with the words, that same day. When I read it, something in me wants to ask, what what day? What day are we talking about? Because it was the same day containing the events of Matthew 12. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes there are long breaks of time between events in a text. And so what looks like something happened right after this, right after this, there are, in the book of Acts, for example, there's years between some of the events recorded in the book of Acts. It doesn't it doesn't seem to be that that's the case here. In other words, when Matthew starts this account saying that same day, he seems to mean that day. And here are some things that happen. So Matthew 13 deals with the, the, uh, the entry and the development and the fruitfulness of God's word in our hearts. And The main point of the parable is pretty simple. If you just want to boil it down to one big point. The seed sown is, it's the word. Jesus identifies that for us in verses 19 and 22. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away. Uh, 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word Uh, The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. Okay, so we get it. The seed that Jesus is talking about is is the word. His word. There isn't this yet. You don't have a recorded New Testament. But the words, the things he says. The word. And so the main point of the parable, obviously, is the word, though powerful in itself... It doesn't have the same effect in every life. And so the potential of the word to produce 
change and to bear fruit seems to be determined by the quality and the readiness of the soil. That's the heart that hears the message. Now, right at that point, I think, those opening three words of Matthew 13 are crucial for us to understand. That same day. So, there are things that happened that day. Jesus didn't pull this out of a, you know, e-sermons on some blog somewhere. There were, there were events that made Jesus think about this. There were things that happened that Jesus was responding to. It wasn't some book of sermons that he was relying on. He had encountered a lot of uh, opposition to his word that day. Opposition to his deeds that day. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus had performed miracles this same day. The same day he gives the parable of the seed and the sower, there were incredible demonstrations of Jesus' power. He spoke to a man with a withered hand. 12.13, stretch out your hand. He healed a demon-possessed man who was both blind and mute. And immediately the man spoke and saw. That's in 1222. People saw this. This was not... I mean, I don't... This was not somebody in a room with 5,000 people saying, the Lord's showing me there's someone over here with a sore back and God is healing you. Well, is he? Isn't he? You know, who knows? This is a guy that... This is a guy that was blind... As could be. And he walked away seeing. That's good stuff. And then the unbelievable happens. The scribes and the Pharisees, they came to Jesus. This is that same day. Scribes and Pharisees came to Jesus after he did those things... And they said, we, we really would like to take you seriously. We'd like to follow you. We're trying so hard to believe. Could you just, could you just give us a sign? 1238. Could you, could you just give us, our hearts are so hungry, could, any kind of sign at all. Could you just do something that would show you are who you say you are? Are you kidding me? The people wouldn't believe him even though he worked wonders right in front of their eyes, the people would ask for greater and greater, but they wouldn't hear him. They wouldn't listen to him, his word, okay? This is what was going on that same day. This was the very same day Jesus had to warn the religious leaders, 12, 31, 32, about quenching the Holy Spirit and the unpardonable sin. This was that day. Same day. So in other words, this was the very same day Jesus in word and deed was was scattering seed all over the place for anybody with an open mind to see and believe and treasure. People had wonderful opportunities that same day day and they rejected all of them 
that should help us understand why. So when you remember that, okay, there's, there's the context. This is what made Jesus speak these words. Now, when you remember that, here's why it's important. It helps us understand some really scathing words of judgment. Right after the parable, there are words that have troubled people for years. And they're in your Bible. Maybe you want to look at them. If you dare, Matthew 13, 10 to 15. Jesus told the parable, the one we're going to study in detail. And when he's all done, the disciples come up to him. Why do you speak to them in parables? There's the question. 13, 10. And he answered them. These are hard words. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Well, that doesn't seem fair, does it? For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Remember, I said at the beginning that That last verse of the parable, depending on which account you read, the numbers sometimes go up and the numbers sometimes go down, and that's why. People that don't want to hear you lose even what you have. Diminishes. This is why I speak to them in parables, 13. Because seeing, they do not see. Remember things that happened that day. And hearing, they they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. Is Is there something wrong with the see? Not doing anything here. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. This isn't isn't something God did. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But they they don't want that. The blind, the crippled, healed right in front of them. Jesus, could you just do something to help us... Just anything at all, a sign. You got anything? They don't want to see. So that 10 and 11, those are the troubling verses. And I wanted to address this hard issue first. The disciples obviously realize many people aren't getting Jesus' meaning. They aren't aren't getting help. This leads them to question why Jesus was using the teaching method he was using. Jesus, 1310, why parables? Why are you teaching in parables? So here's the question. Were these parables Jesus was telling, were they a help for people to understand? Or were they a hindrance? Were the parables making the truth plainer or more obtuse? So that's, that's what's burning in the disciples' mind. As soon as he's done 
talking about the parable, and as soon as they get aside, they come right to him. Why? What are you doing here? Why parables? And verse 11 seems particularly harsh. And he, that's Jesus, your Jesus, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. And, and that just hardly seems fair. You don't need to remember this. I'm only telling you this because I feel like I, I ought to when you're teaching a passage like this. It's not crucial. This, right there, a verse like that, a whole school of interpretation known as dispensationalism. It arose and has grown, especially with the popularity of the Schofield Reference Bible called dispensationalism. If you haven't heard of it and you don't care about it, you don't need to know this. I'm just going to touch on it for two seconds. The idea was that the New Testament had to be read remembering God was and is uh, still working with two peoples rather than one. And so certain things were reserved for the Jewish people. Other truths were specifically geared for the church age only. And this, according to dispensationalism, is what Jesus had in mind when he spoke those words. The meaning was hidden from one crowd and made clear to the other. Like I say, if you've never heard that before, don't worry about it and you don't need to be sidetracked by it. My own view is that that whole school, dispensationalism, which is where you get the pre-trib rapture, church will be raptured. Why? Because God's going to deal with the Jews. He doesn't have one people, like Paul says. No longer two, but one. That's what Paul says. He's broken down the partition. One in Christ. Dispensationalism says, no, God's, God's continually working with two covenants and two peoples. And so, that's how they explain those. To you it has been given. To them it hasn't been given. I don't think that's what Jesus means at all. So what did Jesus mean in those kind of separatist-sounding words in verse 11? And I think Jesus fully intended to tell his disciples that he was teaching in parables both to reveal and to conceal life-giving truth. But the division didn't fall along the line of Jew and Gentile. It fell along the line of those willing to hear and those unwilling to hear. And so we learn that the entrance of God's word, God's rule, God's reign in our lives, at least for now, is not a forced entrance. Yes, the kingdom is truly present now, powerfully full of potential for our lives, but it isn't an irresistible kingdom. Its power is dependent upon our response, the response of the hearer. This, by the way, is all made clear in verses 12 through 15, where Jesus tells us why his words were hidden from so many in these parables. Is this in your notes, those, those verses? Okay, good. Look what he says. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. 
This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see. Remember the, the, the Pharisees? Can you show us a sign, Jesus, right after healing the blind and the crippled? Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For, for this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have, and their eyes, they have closed. Lest, lest they should see with their eyes. And hear with their ears. And understand with their heart and turn. And what would God say? Fooey on you? No. And I would heal them. No unwillingness on my part. This people's heart has grown dull. Verse 15. Boy, I need to, I need to apply those words regularly to my own life. It can happen to very religious people. It can happen to church-going people. It can happen to board members. It can happen to pastors. Does, does Jesus look and see my heart as, as increasingly humble, alert, teachable, wanting to see, wanting to hear, anxious to listen? So we need to remember the events that very day. To see what Jesus had in mind when he spoke those words. Because the idea in this parable is if people were unwilling to respond and embrace the truth he gave them, they would lose the capacity to receive anything more. And that, by the way, is still exactly the way it works. Take, I need just a quick drink. Do you want my mic on when I do this or would you rather me turn it off? Take my life and yours. Like, we're not just spinning out theology here. It's theological, but it... it... Here I live my Christian life, and I've, I've walked with Jesus for, for uh, 55 years. And he talks to me through his word, through my conscience through words from Christian friends and brothers and sisters. And, and uh, shows me his will for my life in... So here's the whole spectrum of my life. But right here, he shows me something particular that he wants to do in me and through me. And, and I'm not happy about it. You'll never know that. I don't probably get up and tell you. And it might not be some glaring sin. It might not even be something you would think was sinful if I told you about it. But, but let's just say there's something there and the Lord says, Don, you know, at this point in your life, I have more for you here than this. You should, you should be listening to me about such and such and such and such. And there's nothing urgent about me listening. I'm not going to hell. I preach three times, speak on Sundays, and every once in a while on a Wednesday, and 
pray. I don't view my soul at stake because I'm hesitant when the Lord reveals something at one point in my life. I'm not a spider hanging by a thread and God's just going to go like that and boom, laugh. No. But here's the thing. If right at that point there's an immaturity, a hesitancy, an unwillingness, and I probably wouldn't want to call it any of those things. I'd probably just say, you know, I think that's just me, probably not the Holy Spirit. It's always just me when we don't want to listen. But if I think that it's just at that one point that there's going to start to come a drain of spiritual life in Don Horbin, if I think it's just going to be at that one point, this parable is saying that's not the way it works at all. Because if you don't listen here, you're not going to get as much there or there or there or there. That, that's what you see unfolding in this parable. That's how important it is. He's talking, this is, this, is, this is Jesus in love telling us how his grace flows and grows and how it shrivels up and dies. These religious people, the people who should have moan, known the most, they should have known the most and they fell the furthest. They start attributing the delivering work of Jesus to demons. Yeah. He's surrounded by people that same day who like watching him do neat stuff. But don't like it when the kingdom comes and presses its finger and says, follow me as Lord. That's why in verse 13, Jesus doesn't just say that these people do not see. He's very careful. These are profound words. He says, seeing they do not see. Do you notice that? He doesn't just say they don't hear. He says, hearing they do not hear. And, and we're meant to see those words used in, in two ways. These people weren't physically blind and they weren't physically deaf. So, so there's a sense in which they could see Jesus, they could hear Jesus. There was no problem there. But in another more important sense, they, they could see, but they chose not to see. They could hear, but they chose not to hear. These were people who were getting into the habit of tuning out the voice of Jesus. That's clearly the meaning of the words that Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah in that 15th verse. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. With their eyes, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So this is obviously deeply burning in Jesus' heart. He takes the time to gather his disciples around him and explain the meaning of this parable to them. It's the only time he does that. Well, it's not quite. Close to the only time he does that. Where he doesn't just tell the parable, he gets his disciples around them and he says, now here, here's what I was getting at. He doesn't want them missing it. Why? Why does he take that kind of time with his disciples 
on this issue of the kind of responses people have to his word. I'll tell you why. Because you know what he's going to be doing very soon? He's going to be sending those disciples out with the very same message. And he wants them ready for the very same response. He wants them to recognize it. Jesus was bracing them for the same kind of response, positive and negative, as they were continuing in his work. I have scores of books, basically newer books, telling me that if people living around this church don't find the message of this church appealing, then we're doing something wrong. That if the unchurched don't think we're just the neatest, coolest, warmest, most wonderful place in Newmarket, then we're not presenting our message with the proper method. And Jesus and a host of New Testament passages tell me that's not the problem. Point number one. And we're almost done. Honest, I'm not kidding you, we're almost done. We're going to be in this parable for a little while. <clears throat> I just wanted you to see where the parable comes from in the heart of Jesus. That's what I wanted you to see. And I wanted to explain those difficult words because, believe me, books and books and books have argued back and forth, and I think it's so needless. Point number one. The potential for all growth in Christ Jesus begins with the seed of God's word planted in the human heart and mind. This is just so basic, isn't it? When you think of seed, any kind of seed, physiologically in conception, agriculturally in seeds put in the ground, what we all know for sure about seed is it's the starting point. It's where everything comes from. What, what Matthew records more indirectly, Mark records more directly in Mark 4.14. The sower sows the word. So we know, we know the seed is the word. I grew up on the prairies. Um, I'm grateful for that. I still, I don't watch sports a lot, but you might as well know it. I still cheer for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I just, it's in me, and I, I can't not do that. It's quite a thing. You'd have to, you'd have to live there and see it. To, to on, a, on a summer, summer night, a warm summer night on the prairies, uh, where it stays light a lot longer than it does here, and you're driving down the Yellowhead Highway from Yorkton to Saskatoon. You all know where I'm talking about. And you look out and there's those white fields. And it's almost 10 o'clock at night. And there will be seven combines just in sequence, staggered. And they just go. And when the moon's out, the lights come on and they keep going. It's, it's a wonderful thing to see acres and acres and sections and sections and miles and miles of land. Picture this scene. Picture, picture a guy who's relatively new. He wants to get into farming, and so he buys his land. It's Alex Makarenko, okay? And he's buying land in Saskatchewan. And he buys it from a, 
a guy I know. And a couple of seasons go by, and Alex is very polite and kind, but he comes to me and he says, Don, there's, you know, you need to talk to the guy um, who sold me that land. I think he's a crook. He says, I've been farming that land. You cannot believe it. I, I, the weather's been good. I've, I've tilled the soil. I've, I've fertilized. I've invested a fortune in irrigation. And year after year, I'm, I'm just not getting anything out of it and I say boy Alex that's weird because I know Hank and he's he's an honest guy and it's not it's just not like him to do that Alex what did you what did you plant and Alex goes plant I said yeah what, what seed did you sow seed you didn't say anything about seed you have to put seed in the ground, Alex, or it's not going to, you're not going to get anything. And so I save his bacon, and, it, and it, all, it all works out. It's a stupid story, but do you know how many times I apply it to my own life? I'm just like you, but do you know how many times I sit in my office and talk to people, and I want to talk to them about sowing and they want to talk to me about harvesting. I want to talk to them about God's word. Studying the word. I want to talk to them about coming to church more than once a month. I want to talk to them about getting into a Bible study. I want to talk to them about getting good Christian friends around them. They want to talk to me about God saving their marriage. And prospering their business and giving them health, and helping them make good decisions. And I say, yeah, but that's harvesting. <laughs> you want to harvest, what you have to do is you have to sow. And we live in a generation where Christian people want to come to church less and less. They know their Bibles less and less. But, oh, they want to harvest. They want to harvest. And that's when I, I, I just walk up to this parable and I say, thank you, Jesus, for that beautiful, simple insight. The seed is the starting place for anything you want to reap in your life. Did everybody hear it? The seed, sown, embraced, honored, followed in your heart, that seed in the ground that makes everything else grow. And... And it's just as ludicrous to expect your Christian life to flourish without sowing as it is for my friend to think he's going to get a crop out of the soil because he fertilizes and water. You've got to put seed in the ground. There are other factors to be sure. There's thorns. There's all sorts of things. We'll look at that. But here's what we know absolutely for sure. Nothing's going to happen until the seed gets in the soil. Nothing. It can't. So, the very forming of this parable, so masterfully designed, it really is, by Jesus, the great loving teacher, who in the very act of picturing spiritual fruitfulness, he underlines the fact that we're so prone to disconnect 
the sowing of the word from the harvesting in the life. And you can't disconnect them. You know why people disconnect them? Because like all growth process, the sowing and the harvesting don't happen one night and the next morning. And it takes a discipline to keep sowing. Just, just think about, here's how we should wrap up this part of the service. You think of all the voices on your, on your, your Facebook stream and, and the things you program into your iPod and the TV and the internet. And compare the time you spend with those things to the time spent studying, memorizing God's word. Compare the accumulated hours spent in restaurants and, silly enough, bars and health clubs with the hours spent in God's house each week. And eventually, not immediately, that's going to determine what your life is going to eventually harvest. It can't be otherwise. So there's the first great lesson and the first great warning. Let nothing but the word take center place in the garden of your life. Ungodly counsel is everywhere. It crops up like weeds and thorns. You'll see that. And Jesus says those things will choke out the word. But the word properly received, embraced, understood. Isn't it the way it is? You, there you sit reading your Bible. And... Maybe this happens for you, but it doesn't for me. And the room doesn't light up with a glow and you hear angels singing every time you crack open Second Chronicles and start reading. And what, 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 how does that relate? What can possibly come? And you remember, you look at, next time you eat an apple, just take one of the seeds out. And then go to some orchard somewhere and look at an apple tree. And it doesn't look like any correlation between this and that, right? But that came from this. Get the word into your heart. Everyone said? <laughs>